So according to this article by Neil Shenvey, he says uh, it's titled Christianity and Social Justice, like I said. And it, it starts like this. He says, should Christians support social justice? For some Christians, the answer is unequivocally yes. The Bible is filled with commands to care for the poor, defend the powerless, seek justice for the widow and orphan, and flee the oppressed. To reject social justice is, in their minds, to reject the commands of God. Conversely, other Christians dismiss social justice as a meaningless buzzword invented to drum up support for progressive policy. Which group is correct? Neither. Neil Shanvi continues. In this essay, I will argue that social justice is not an empty catchphrase. It has a specific, consistent meaning in large segments of academia and in substantial portions of our culture. It also shares some of the same concern as a biblical conception of justice, care for the poor, the marginalized, the powerless. However, it is often grounded in a worldview that is largely antithetical to Christianity. Therefore, Christians should be extremely hesitant to use the term social justice. You heard? Extremely, extremely hesitant. In fact, for most Christians, they should stop using it because you're using it without understanding where the word came from. The word came from a demonic concept of critical theory, which is a demonic concept of Marxism. In his book, Beyond Critique, Bradley Levinson says that Karl Marx alone invites consensus as the first true critical theorist. Well, not his ideas about, about economics per se, but his <laughs> ideas about how power circulates within society to produce and reproduce inequalities and exploitation. But Marx did not coin the term critical theory. That came from the Frankfurt School, a bunch of sociologists and philosophers writing in the 20s and 30s in Germany and later in the US. Uh, but that was like 80 or 90 years ago. Since then, critical theory has evolved tremendously to produce entire disciplines like post-colonialism, critical pedagogy, postmodernism, feminism, black feminism, queer theory, critical race theory. I call these concepts demonic because these concepts are usually used to put people in further oppression. It comes off as trying to liberate people, but in the end, it puts people in another form of depression, an even worse form of depression. So it is deceptive and it's demonic. So Christians should not use it. The same way with Black Lives Matter. A lot of you don't understand what Black Lives Matter stands for. The people that came up with this concept, you don't understand what they came up for. So you're just using it saying, oh, well, it's a, it's a movement. It's a separate movement. No, it's not. No, it's not. By you saying Black Lives Matter, putting that hashtag and doing everything they tell you to do in the name of justice, you're actually causing people that are uneducated out there to go and give them money and for, in order for them to further their cause. You are causing them to grow. You are making them even more popular by constantly pushing their agenda. The only time we're supposed to be talking about Black Lives Matter is when we're telling people to walk away from it, not to it. Again, just like social justice, like Neil Shenvey just said in this article, Black Lives Matter is the same way. If you don't know what they mean by Black Lives Matter, if you don't know where it came from and how it came to be, what it is, 
Don't use that term. Neil Shemby continues, as I've argued elsewhere, critical theory is incompatible with many fundamental Christian beliefs. Insofar as we accept the claims of Christianity, we'll have to deny the claims of critical theory. We can't accept both. But if the term social justice is being grounded in critical theory, then Christian will have to reject it. Even apart from its connection to critical theory, Christianity should recognize that social justice is reductive. Proponents of social justice tend to see it as an ultimate moral goal of humanity. But from a biblical perspective, neither morality nor justice can be reduced to revelation from oppression. Many sinful actions do not involve oppression. Cursing God, worshiping idols, dishonoring one's parents, having sex outside of marriage are immoral but do not involve oppression. Similarly, biblical justice involves not just revelation from oppression, but also impartiality in judgment. Leviticus 19.15 says this, Do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor, or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. To the great there is actually also could be translated to the rich, to the poor and to the rich. In other words, when judging your neighbor, you shouldn't involve the money they have, the color of their skin, or any of that. You got to judge your neighbor fairly, fairly. But again, according to these people, you can't judge your neighbor fairly if they're white. Because you have to always keep in account their being white as a symbol of oppression. Their being white as being a part of an oppressive group. They're being white as being complicit with racism, being beneficiaries of, or indirect beneficiaries sometimes of racism because they're white. Neil Shenvey continues in a, in a segment called Words Matter. Despite the argument above, I suspect that many Christians will still not see a problem unequivocally supporting social justice. All that is needed, they will argue, is for the term to be redefined in a way that is compatible with the Bible. While I agree in theory, in practice, this approach is unworkable. Imagine a man who claims to be unequivocally in favor of reproductive justice. Yet when questioned, he says that he remains fervently pro-life and defined reproductive justice as the right for women to have children if they so desire. We would be confused, perhaps a bit scandalized, because the phrase reproductive justice has a well-defined meaning that includes support for abortion. He is either ignorant or disingenuous. Perhaps he has never taken the time to find out what reproductive justice means, or perhaps he is trying to reap the social benefit from support for reproductive justice while concealing his actual belief. Either way, we would quite rightly argue him to adapt language that is more consistent with his actual beliefs. That's the point here, ladies and gentlemen, the language you use. See, a lot of you are going out there throwing around the words like white privilege. You don't understand where the word came from, what the philosophy behind it, the people that came up with these concepts, what they believe, what they want to see, the, the end goal for the world that they want to see their solution for getting rid of these problems, you don't know. You're actually being used to push something that you yourself would not approve. 
An example is Black Lives Matter. They want to do away with the nuclear family. Okay. How is that going to help? And by the way, do you agree with that? Okay. So, so how can you walk alongside them knowing that at the end of the road, what they want to see is that the nuclear family is done away with? Or at least society don't consider that as an important aspect of life. Especially when we know that one of the biggest problems in the African-American community is fatherlessness. The only way I can explain that is that they are under the influence of the devil. The devil is using them to self-destruct, to distract themselves and all of us. We already know that they're deceased because the, the, the founders of this organization are not only Marxists, they're lesbian women. So they're already lost. So their movement, their agendas are going to be in a way that when it's all said and done, the world is more favorable to them and their ideas. That's the end goal. Christian, are you willing to go down that road? Are you willing to support that? Are you willing to hold that flag? Because I can guarantee you, Jesus does not approve. These movements do not have any part of reconciliation with them. They are resentful and they want revenge. They want destruction. They want total chaos. Neil Shenvi continues. In conclusion, I want to emphasize that the Bible absolutely commands Christians to care for the poor, to heal the sick, to comfort the afflicted, and to listen and to liberate the oppressed. As I said, bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be able to do all those things. Love your neighbor. You'll be able to do all those things. Again, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we're called to do. Not only do we follow a Savior who lived out those values, we follow a Savior who was himself poor, sick, afflicted, and oppressed, and who takes our service to the vulnerable believers as service to himself. However, the Bible thinks about justice very differently than critical theory. Listen now. Critical theory twists justice. Please remember that at some point I had read that as a worldview, critical theory is both self-contradictory and inescapably incompatible with Christianity. However, according to his last words in this article, he said that Christians are attracted to social justice because of an appropriate concern for the poor and oppressed, but then experience a worldview drift. They start going away. They start losing their salvation. They start going into all these other stuff that is not Christianity. They start twisting scripture. They start omitting certain parts of the scriptures. That's what happens when you go down these worldly, demonic doctrines. Please, be careful. Please, educate yourself. Please, understand that the Bible has already everything we need in this world. The Bible is a book of instructions. For us, and for you white people, I'll say this. Don't let them gaslight you. Don't let them twist things to confuse you. Follow the Bible. Follow God's word. God's word will never lead you astray. Serve God. You can only please God in the end. At the end, again, this is an attack on the church. This is one tactic of the enemy to try to, to further the division. The division. He's seeing us coming together. He's seeing that most successful churches in the United States is multicultural churches. 
Although I was told not to use that term. Multi-ethnic churches is a, is a proper term. Multi-ethnic churches in the United States, far as I'm concerned, are the most successful today. A lot of people are moving towards a multi-ethnic route. So what does the devil do? Bring division. Start making people feel uncomfortable. Start making one group feel like they somehow know something that the other group don't. Or that they somehow have some kind of special status. Because when you start telling white people that they're inherently racist, then you're actually telling black people that they are inherently victims. Then the black people are going to start wanting to make white people pay, pay them back. Reparations. Then you're going to have this thing going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. When God, Jesus, paid it all for us, he paid it all for us. Black, white, green, yellow. It doesn't matter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the presence of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, into his marvelous light. You and I are royal priests. We are peculiar in God's eye. We are God's special possession. In God's eyes, there's no difference. So we do need to get it together. We do need to educate ourselves. We do need to watch what our kids are exposed to because if you send your kids to some of these schools a lot of these schools these public schools and universities they're teaching them this stuff guarantee you they're teaching them this stuff it's everywhere it's in everything the same way you are seeing the black lives matter mural everywhere this concept is in everything so you either have to teach your own kids at home or you have to send them to to a school that can be trusted or if you can't send them to a school that can be trusted and, and you can't teach them yourself at home full time, then when they come back from school, you're going to have to reteach them according to the word of God. Because the world is going to give them these concepts. And if you don't intervene at a very young age, by the time they're 20, they're already lost. They already see the Bible as an oppressive book. Anyway, that's all I wanted to do here. Just do a little bit of uh, education and kind of give some of the things that I've been learning myself. I am still learning, still trying to figure all this out. So, you know, hey, please talk to me in the comments. Let me know. What do you think about this? What, uh, what are your own uh, uh, understanding of these issues of white privilege? And uh, I don't care. You may disagree with me. It's all good. I actually want more people to disagree with me. I don't get enough people to disagree with me especially on YouTube. This happens a lot on Facebook and thank God for that because it pushes me to learn. It pushes me to do my research. However, please let me know what you think. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for stopping by. I will leave you with this prayer. It's out of Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace today. Have a blessed day.